Welcome to Tax Boss. I'm Meryl Bailey in Orlando, Florida. And I'm Crystal Woodbury in Denver, Colorado. We're each licensed as attorneys and CPAs. We help our clients get the best results because we work well with their trusted advisors. Tax Boss is a podcast for advisors from multiple professions to get together to discuss common client issues and how we can work together to solve them. Welcome to Tax Boss. Today, we're going to talk about 18 and on your own, young adults. They're still your children, but legally, they're not under the law. And what are your options? I'd like to talk about what, if any, documents your off-to-college student or your 18-year-old needs to have in place before they fly the coop. Well, we talk about this all the time because... Most of my clients who are parents, as most parents do, think that their baby is their baby, whether their baby is 16 or 66. And I have to explain to them that in Florida at age 18, their legal right to be in charge of their children has just been severed. And they are appalled by this. Mm -hmm. And they think that they can still go to the doctor with their children and make all these decisions and do things. And they may get away with it, but at some point, someone's going to tell them no and they're not used to hearing no so they will be very surprised by that so I don't want them to be surprised we don't like our clients to be surprised by anything so we try to ease their path in so we actually talk about this all the time Um, in fact we have a booklet called 18 and on your own that's available on the website of yourcaringlawfirm.com that talks about legal documents for graduates and young adults and why do they need certain documents and why would they need other documents but you know, my absolute minimum document that they need is a general durable power of attorney. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And and we send every year letters to parents as their children are turning 18 saying, hey, your child's going to turn 18 this year. Here are some things you should be aware of. And here are some things they need to be aware of as far as decision making, um, ability to pay bills, all of those things that we as parents do for our kids probably longer than we should. <laughs> Um, that that really parents don't have a right to information. Correct. To get that Correct. done anymore, absent documents. That's true. And there's multiple documents that they might need to consider. So the general durable power of attorney, as as you know, is a document that allows someone else, the agent or attorney in fact, to make mostly financial and civil rights decisions mm-hmm. and enact those behaviors for the person who set it up. So what you're doing, if the 18-year-old is signing a general door of attorney, they are choosing someone or other you know, people in order to act on their behalf for either convenience sake or because they're not physically or mentally able to do so. Right, right. Like calling the college and finding out what the tuition bill is and paying that bill. Or calling and finding out the grades and all the things that the parents think that they should be getting, even though really the child is an adult now and should be handling all those things by themselves. Um, I find it really interesting how some of the parents think this through because they, they don't think that it's really the child's choice. And so when I talk to them, I say, well, I will need to talk to your child and your child is going to have to tell me, do they even want to name you? Right. And they get a little taken aback sometimes. And I said, you know, do they want to name their mom first, their dad first, somebody else altogether? Um, and the parents are like, well, I'm paying for it. They should, 
they should name me. And I will mm-hmm. say, well, there's an issue with that as well. The Florida Florida Bar has rules about a third party paying for legal services, as I'm sure Colorado does. Colorado does. And so we have to have them sign a document. And then, of course, we've got the issue of multiple clients. So we have to f- have them sign a conflicts waiver saying yes. that it's in everyone's – they believe that it's in their best interest to have – me be the attorney for all of them and that they have choices and they absolutely could go elsewhere. So it it's a lot more involved than some people might think. Right. And tying back to a previous podcast, who was our client? And we have to kick the parents out of the room when we talk to right. their child right. about this planning. So Yeah. So the clients ask me a lot, well, if they sign the durable power of attorney, do they need to have a health care power of attorney? Yes. And they do. They do. Um, I recommend to my 18-year-old clients the full baby package of documents, which is a a simple will where they identify to the extent they have assets where they want them to go. Um, But you have to remember that they may have more assets if something happened to them than they're thinking of because – in the tragic event of the child dying in a car accident caused by someone else, there will be a wrongful death suit that will pay out. And now all yes. of a sudden this child may have a million dollar legacy. Right, right. Um, and and the financial power of attorney, which is, is something that's used while they're alive, medical power of attorney. Uh, we do a separate HIPAA release in Colorado where the child can name folks that have access to their medical records and it there may be more people named on that document than there are in their power of attorney or, or will document. See, we treat it differently. We can do a separate HIPAA release in Florida, but we embed the HIPAA release in all of our ancillary documents so that they don't have to carry the HIPAA release and the living will, the HIPAA release and the door of the HIPAA release and the healthcare surrogate. We do that as well. However, our HIPAA release extends access for 12 months. See, we have that language in there as well. We add that language in our HIPAA release in the documents. Okay. Okay. And what we're talking about here is if your adult child... um, if you needed to access the medical records for your adult child after your adult child has no one our form dies, they get on the bus. So after your adult child got on the bus, if you needed to access those medical records after their death, the healthcare surrogate generally dies with the person. Mm-hmm. But we put language in ours that allows the agent to access the medical records for a certain period of time afterwards. Okay. And we, yeah, we do the same, but we do it in the HIPAA release. Well, one of the things that I talk to the children about the adult children, is they may be in a family that is a broken family, Mm -hmm. um, that the parents have gotten divorced and they may not have contact with the other, with one or the other parent. And I explained to them that if they don't do any of these documents, that, you know, if they needed to have a guardianship, let's assume that they haven't seen their mother in six years, would their mother be their guardian? Would they want the mother to be the guardian? Um, and I talk about a will. Now, I, I heard you say that you do the wills automatically. We don't because if the unless the child has a situation where they would not want 50% to go to the mom and 50% to mm-hmm. go to the dad because that's the Florida statute of intestacy says that if you are not married and you don't have children, half would go to each of your you know parents. Yes. And so they don't need to spend legal fees on a document if that's where the child wants to go. But if 
the child does not have a relationship mm-hmm. with one or the other side of the family, then they want a will mm-hmm. that says, I want it all to yes. go to my mom or all to go to my dad. Yeah. Um, another big issue that I talk about a lot with the children in that situation is whom would they want to make their funeral arrangements? Because there's a really famous case in Florida where a 23-year-old Florida man who was actually a UCF student, and you know the University of Central Florida is near and dear to my heart. Go Knights. Charge on. Um, He was driving home. He lived down in South Florida. He was driving home from UCF, and he was killed in an auto accident. And his parents were divorced, and they argued in court for five years who had the right to decide where his cremated remains would be buried. Five years they were in court. Um, the father wanted to bury the son's ashes in a family plot in Georgia, and her mother wanted her son's remains buried in Flor- South Florida, where she lived and she could visit him, and her son grew up. And the judge decided that his ashes could not be divided, and the parents had to work it out. Oh. So, I mean, like, basically he punted back to the parents, but yeah. he's like, grow up, people. Yeah. Um, you know, and stop fighting. It was it was really tragic. Yeah, I don't think that's a conversation I would thing to have with younger clients. Oh, I do. If, they're, if they don't get, because if they don't get along with both of their parents. Right. Which is when we would be having maybe the will conversation. Correct. Correct. It's not for well. all of them. If they right. if ha- come from a, if their parents are, are get along and, mm-hmm. or if they get along with their parents, mm-hmm. that's not a conversation. But in this same um, horrible incident, the... He was an engineering graduate. Um, the man's, the man who killed him was driving a Bentley, and he knocked the kid's Hyundai into a roadside canal, and then just kept driving. And there was a forty-six million dollar wrongful death settlement to his estate. So the parents of, you know, the divorced parents now mm-hmm. each were getting half. Right. Was that what he wanted? I don't know. What was his yeah. relationship with his parents? I don't know. Right. I, you know, like this yeah. was just a horrible, horrible. Incident And in Colorado, Florida might have it too. In Colorado, we have a a statutory disposition of last remains statute and document um, that I think I may add to my young adult estate planning package because it says, do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? Who is the person who will make that be so if that person can act? Who's the backup who will make that be so? Um, I don't know that most 18, 19, 20-year-olds give it a lot of thought. But they don't, but they case. give a lot of thought about which parent they want in charge if they don't get yes. along with both parents. Yes. You know, and, and just thinking about it for me, um, if a parent were making the decision of what happened to me, I may very well be buried when my desire is to be cremated. If I don't put that out there and let people know, how would they know? And, and if an 18, 19, 20-year-old has strong thoughts about maybe they want to be planted with a tree. There are people who do that now that have their bodies put in the root bag Yes, and get planted with a tree. If that's something they want, who's going to know if you, if you don't tell them? And who's if it's something that's important to you, yes. write it down. However, we don't want them all to say that they want their ashes spread at Walt Disney at Magic Kingdom, which is a right. big problem. <laughs> For the Magic Kingdom here in Orlando. Right, right. yeah. <laughs> well, what about a pre-need guardianship? Do you do those documents? I do not. Okay, see, again, I bring that up. Uh, if they have they a split in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a true life example is Britney Spears. 
You know, mm-hmm. she had she melted down in public when she was in her early 20s. Um, you know, it's it's sad. I picked before we realized that Britney Spears had true mental illness. I picked on her all the time because she was a train wreck. And then she shaved her head in public, attacked a photographer with an umbrella and locked herself in a bathroom with her son. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, because, again, I get all my news from the National Enquirer and TMZ. So I was watching this live and I'm like, oh, no, I've got to stop picking on Britney Spears Mm because she really has issues. Mm -hmm. But in her case, her father... Um, Jamie Spears was appointed by the court to be her guardian, and I believe he's done a brilliant job. Yeah, I really do. I respect the job he's done. And, of course, I'm acting like I know these people. Uh, They did not call me. I do not know them. I just, you know, pay attention to these things because I'm obsessed. Um, Did I ever tell you how I got obsessed with the National Enquirer? You did not. Okay. So when my parents were melting down physically and we moved them out of their house into assisted living— I had all the mail delivered to my house so I could figure out what was going on with their with their bills and their situation because my dad kept getting invitations to rescue Doberman pinchers and German shepherds and you know he's like on all these lists. So my mother, the English professor, I find gets the National Enquirer every week in the mail and I become obsessed and I'm like oh my god my dream job is to be the editor for the National Enquirer because think of what those staff meetings are like Uh, right I can only imagine so I start reading the National Enquirer like it's really news and by god it's some of the stuff that comes up is really great for example I had a client last week who told me that she did not want to do her pre-need cremation planning because in her past life she was Joan of Arc and she distinctly remembers being cremated. I'm sorry, burned at the stake. And so she's terrified of fire. And so I think that would be something that would have been great in the National Enquirer. But what do I know? She very well, she says she remembers leading men into battle. She remembers wearing heavy armor with a cross on it. So what I did was offer to introduce her to a very friendly um, person at one of the local cremation societies because mm-hmm. he's delightful and she's delightful and I want her to get over the sphere because she doesn't want to be a burden to her kids. Right. Find that comfort level. Yeah. 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 Now, talk to me about what conversation you have about the living will, the pull the plug document. So with young adults, Colorado's living will is a statutory form. And it is a initial, the selection you want. If two doctors agree you have a terminal condition, do you want life-sustaining procedures withdrawn or withheld, continued for a period of days, or continued indefinitely? Um, so, and, and then you can make the same choices for um, persistent vegetative state. It's in Colorado, and most states, is a document permission and said, I, I have thought about this, and this is what I want, and we want the medical power of attorney to um, enforce those decisions when you pa- when you have this diagnosis. So the conversation we have is, here are your choices. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. Whatever you choose, make sure the person you have named as agent under your medical power of attorney is knows of these decisions and is going to be comfortable enforcing them. Because a lot of times when we name a parent as medical power of attorney, the hardest thing for them to do is to, to let go. And so... Um, I encourage them, if they choose to sign a living will, uh, to have the conversation with those persons that they've named as their medical proxy or medical decision maker um, so that they're not surprised by it and are willing to 
carry it through. Because if they're not, maybe they're not the right person to name. So in Florida, the living will, we do a separate document than the healthcare surrogate. We do too. Okay, because you had said that the surrogate from the medical, what I heard you say, Mm -hmm. was that the person that they named as their healthcare surrogate Mm -hmm. would be the one that enacts the living will. So is that a true statement? It is. In our living will document, one of the selections you make is specifically refers to your medical power of attorney and says you either choose my medical power of attorney shall be bound by my selections in here or my medical power of attorney can make can use their own discretion. So oh. it's it's either a document of true permission, I've thought about it, or a document saying I'm binding you to make these decisions. Ah. So we, ha- we give um, the person signing the living will the choice. And I see both sides of it. One of it is if this is what you really want, then make them bound by it. The other is it's your health care or your medical power of attorney who's getting the information from the doctors. And not you, because at the time you're using the living will, you don't have the capacity to make a decision, don't understand what's being told to you. Um, So they're getting the information. And especially if it's, well, I shouldn't even say especially if it's persistent vegetative state, no brain activity. I mean, we've all heard those miracle stories. And if you're naming your spouse or you're young and you're naming a parent and you say seven days, do you really mean seven days or they're getting the information if the doctors are saying, let's give it a little more time, or maybe you want to give it a little more time. It, it's your medical power of attorney that's getting that information and trying to make the decision. So I, I see both sides of binding them and giving them some more authority, more discretion. Where I also see more discretion is if you put 10 days and the doctors say to your medical power of attorney, it's there's there's nothing are we going to spend resources for 10 more days to wait out that 10 days or give them the discretion to to end treatment sooner so florida's a little different florida's documents are separate and the people are named separately okay and i tell i advise my clients that the person they want for the healthcare surrogate or the medical care power is the person that would go to the doctors with them, knows what prescriptions they're on, um, has patients with the medical community. And then I tell them that I want their biggest bulldog in the family to be the living will person. And okay. it might not be the same person because um, – I'm from New Jersey, so what I used to say is, if you were in a knife fight, who has your back? And then I realized that clients didn't really couldn't relate to a knife fight with someone at their back, as neither could I, because I was raised <laughs> up in the suburbs of Lake Mohawk, which is absolutely gorgeous. So here I'm acting like I was something other than born in Jersey City. But um, it is a very, having lived through this with my father, and, and to some extent with my mother, um, when my dad was dying, he had great insurance, and he had two different types of dementia. And but you wouldn't know he had dementia if you just met him casually. He he could hold a conversation. He was charming. He would yes 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 you for everything. But he had, didn't really have the comprehension of the actions that he would take or decisions that he would make. The um, I can't think of the word. I'm gonna have to do this one over. Hang on. Consequences. Thank you. Mm-hmm. He didn't really have the ability to understand the consequences of his decisions. So he, one of the things that 
happened with my dad, we realized, was that he had lost the capacity to understand pain. And so he collapsed at the assisted living facility and they took him to the hospital and they started doing scans. And he had scans. They started at the bottom. He had cancer in his pelvis. He had cancer in his spine. He had cancer in his um, colon, he had cancer in his kidney, he had cancer in his stomach, he had cancer in his lungs, he had, like, I finally said, stop doing scans. Obviously, he's riddled with cancer, but he had really great insurance, and the doctors kept coming in saying, oh, Mr. Bailey, we want to resection your lung, and we want to take out part of your colon, we want to do this, and I said, no, we are not touching him, he's not a pinata, he's got, what, two weeks to live? So, we were lucky enough that I have depth of bench of siblings, that for the three nights that he had to be in the hospital before Medicare would pay for skilled nursing for the next 20 days. Um, we assigned basically a guard of a sibling standing at the bedside with him 24 hours a day for those three days because we were concerned that if he didn't have someone with him, a someone would come in, a physician would go, Mr. Bailey, we have to go remove your left lung. And he'd go, okay, because that's what he did. He would smile and he'd nod. He was very charming. Mm -hmm. So my brother Dwight was there when a physician who was not their primary physician who was out of town that day, um, another doctor came in and said to my brother, oh, you know, we need to do all these things to your dad. And Dwight's like, nope, don't touch him. Yeah. And she said, well, I can't believe you're not going to let us treat your father. And he said, there is no cure for this. There's no treating. And she said, you must not love him. And Dwight's like, out, oh. out you go. <laughs> and she said, you are a very unpleasant person. And Dwight said, if you think I'm unpleasant, wait until you get a load of my sister Meryl. And like threw her out. But, you know, most people, well, I don't know if most people, but many people would be uncomfortable with an authority figure like a physician mm -hmm. and then pulling the guilt card of you don't love your father and knowing he had great insurance and it wasn't going to cost us anything to see if there was something that could be done medically. Right. There wasn't anything that could be done medically. Right. So, and he died 10 days later. I, I like that separation. We don't have it in Colorado, but yeah. I do. I do like that separation. Now, um, talk to me about how would you, how would you advise the children if they don't get along with the parents. Like, just pick one. Because, you know, there's the famous case of Bobby Christina Brown, Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown's 22-year-old daughter. Who watched, I know, being Bobby Brown, <laughs> the best, the best reality TV show on the planet was yes. being Bobby Brown and they'll never play it again and I loved it so much. Yeah. Bobby! Whitney would scream, <laughs> ask looking for him. But Bobby Christina Brown suffered uh, brain damage and lost the ability to communicate about a year after her mother died. And she had a live-in boyfriend. He had no legal authority to make decisions for her. And Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston's family were estranged, and they didn't really communicate. Again, I'm getting all my information from the National Enquirer right. and People Magazine. But they kept her alive for a period of time. Um, I'm sure they thought that something could be done, mm -hmm. but at some point they decided and they took her off the, the life support. Mm -hmm. But who should have been in charge? You know, did she have any thoughts on that? If she had been my client, I would have had her sign a living will. Yes. Yeah. And, and I do think there are times when it can be a tricky conversation with these young adults, if, especially if their parents are paying the bill and they have this great new 
boyfriend or girlfriend and they think that person is their forever person and they maybe want to name a boyfriend instead of a parent or a girlfriend instead of a parent, I, I, our job is to counsel them and who knows you the best, who knows your decisions the best, who's going to do what's best for you um, in this situation and who will be there for the long haul. Um, if you name this boyfriend and then or girlfriend and then you break up, where are you then? So we, we do work through it. And yeah, I, um, I haven't had that come up very often, but I am very clear that the I speak to the child without the parents. Yes. I mean, like they're not in there. I generally I speak to the child. Either they come in alone or I speak to them on the phone alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I won't do it with the parents hanging we do around. That too. And I don't even like it with the parents in the lobby. Yeah, no. And the child we don't have in that. the conference Because at so. 18, they're old enough to drive. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I let them do that. But um, yeah, so this is a big thing. So if you have children who are getting ready to go to college, you mm-hmm. think they've got all their stuff um, packed one of the things that they should put in their list of things to do are legal documents. Yes. Because you yes. don't have the authority that you traditionally thought you've yeah. had. Yeah, and, and even sooner for some, I mean, I think about it, my child will be 18 early in his senior year of high school. It's his senior year. I'm paying the bills. I'm well, probably paying <laughs> the bills. Hopefully. I'll be paying the bills. Um, but I don't have automatic access to all that information I I would think I should be entitled to when my kid's a senior in high school. And so he will have documents. Yeah. Naming whoever. I will not be the drafting attorney. Right. So. Right. Right. <laughs> Which That's will be a hard topic for, me. for a whole other day. I'll, I'll be paying that bill. But <laughs> Until next time, I'm Meryl Bailey. And I'm Crystal Woodbury. Thanks for joining us. Go dazzle your clients like a tax boss. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Law Center in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. The Law Center is a full-service, multi-office law firm serving clients in Colorado, Nebraska, and Kansas.